episode 72 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on March 28, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. The Conquest revamp was supposed to be about dominating the greater galaxy, but instead it was more like Conquest of the Planet of the Derps. I'll tell you what went wrong and how Bioware plans to fix things. Conquest isn't the only thing in chaos. Our favorite companions are getting in on the the fun with the Companion Chaos Celebration. It's Team Nico versus Team Vizsla. I'll tell you what it's all about. Also this week, I continue my story project as the Republic's heroes head to Terrace where a massive reconstruction effort is underway. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to episode 72 of this State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. To help celebrate the completion of the Gods from the Machine operation, SWOTOR's first raid since 2014, Brian and Chuck from Bad Feeling Podcast are holding another contest. This time, the grand prize is 500 million credits. That's right, a half a billion credits is up for grabs. Here are Chuck and Brian with the details. Have you been injured by rogue droids? Are you constantly having credit problems? Do you need to pay bots to help you meet your conquest goal? The offices of Gren, the Sarlacc Forte, are ready to help you reach a settlement that will disintegrate your credit problems for good. We hold responsible the droids that rage, disrupt, glare, and ignite you. I am Gren, the Sarlacc Forte, and I will seek compensation of 500 million credits just for you. To qualify, send a screenshot of you defeating Isaac to gsf at badfeelingpodcast.com. You'll be entered to receive the compensation you deserve. 500 million credits. If you defeat the gods from the machine in veteran mode, we'll enter you twice. Do not delay. Defeat those droids and get the compensation you earned. For your opportunity to receive compensation, don't forget, email those screenshots to gsf at badfeelingpodcast.com. By the way, that 500 million still won't be enough to purchase the Dark Honor Guard's unstable lightsaber, which is now available. That is one sweet laser sword. But hey, if you don't have the credits to buy it on the GTN, maybe you have the coins to purchase it directly from the cartel market. You can buy it for 5,500 coins, which is roughly $40. And this is just the beginning. Hold on to your butts and hang on to your wallets, because on March 27th, Bioware began a spring cartel market event in which almost every cartel market item will soon be available for direct sale. Here's what Eric Musco posted about the event. Over the last year, we've changed how we operate the cartel market based on your suggestions, including increasing the number of items and frequency in limited time of direct purchase sales. Our goal is to give you more freedom to choose how you get your items. Want to get them out of a pack? You still can. Want to get them directly? Now you can do that too. Starting with the spring event, players will begin to see changes take shape in three key areas. 
direct sale of items, new items, and the next cartel market pack. This spring event is a limited time event which will run from Tuesday, March 27th through Tuesday, April 17th. Our new cartel pack will be called the Ultimate Pack and will be available as well and it works a bit differently than other packs. Each pack contains four slots. Slots 1, 2, and 3 can contain any item ever released on the CM, including the new items coming in Command Authority, Game Update 5.8, and any future items. Slot 4 will then contain either scrap, companion gifts, or a die module. Dies being in slot 4 is a big change from how it worked in older packs. Pricing of the packs has been lowered. They can be purchased individually for 200 cartel coins, in a 10-pack super crate for 1,900 cartel coins, or in a 30-pack hyper crate for 5,400 cartel coins. From Tuesday, April 3rd through Tuesday, April 17th, almost every cartel market market item will be available for direct sale. Maybe there's an item you have been waiting to see in our weekly sales, or you just don't want to throw the credits at it on the GTN. This will give you an opportunity to scoop that item up. So what's available now are the items from the latest pack, and then starting next week, we should see a ton of items go up for sale. I'm curious to see the pricing on the Revered Master's Armor set. Also, unless I'm mistaken, the pack changes are the equivalent of getting four grand chance cubes and some scraps. With all the items released to the cartel market over the years, it seems like the chances of getting what you want out of a pack is rather low. As always, if there is an item you truly crave, then hoping to find it in a pack isn't really the way to go. Well, that's it for the announcements. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. It was quite a week for Star Wars The Old Republic. On Tuesday, March 20th, Game Update 5.8 was released. The main features in this update were Isaacs, the return of Ashara Zavros and Vector Hillis, the Arkan Romance, and of course, the Conquest revamp. I'll admit, I haven't had time to check out the companion stuff. I haven't gotten the right characters through Knights of the Eternal Throne yet, so I don't actually have access to everything. I haven't attempted Isaacs either. That said, no one is really complaining about that stuff. Even the news that the greedy huts were raising the GTN sales cut from 6 to 8% was met with a simple shrug from the community. The focus of everyone's rage and consternation this week was the Conquest revamp. Despite a detailed forum post and a live stream preview of the Conquest changes, it appears that Bioware left out one or two important details about how Conquest was going to work in the new order of things. Going into 5.8, players were generally excited about the changes. It offered more rewards, more opportunities for guilds to participate, incentives for guilds of similar sizes to compete against one another, and there was no longer a need to decorate your stronghold like you are hosting the greatest game of musical chairs the galaxy has ever seen. When viewed against the backdrop of the old system, the Conquest revamp was looking pretty good. But then the servers came up and it was time to invade, and before too long, the Conquerors were feeling more like the Conquered. Objective points were too low, and target points were too high. Crafting was nerfed to the ground. There was no objective for participating in PvP, just winning and operations were once a day per legacy. The changes were drastic. Objectives that promoted camaraderie and fun were no longer rewarding, and players had to waste time smashing mindless minions on Ilum and Hoth to get their points. Wednesday felt more like Sunday, not because people were finished with Conquest, but because they were done with it. Now, to understand how things got to be in this state, you have to look at 
what the goals were for conquest. Here's what Eric Musco posted on the forums. We had a few things in mind that we wanted to address as we moved from the old system into the new one. First and foremost were rewards. This includes ensuring that the new system delivers the rewards you earn, but also increasing the overall rewards for participating in conquests. Here is what you receive now when you and your guild completes a conquest. A large amount of credits and CXP via completion of objectives. Personal rewards, including crafting materials, credits, and more. Invasion rewards, including crafting materials, credits, encryptions, and more, which is now rewarded to all guilds who meet the invasion target. Access to the fleet vendor, which sells special decorations and the Master's Compendium, the Companion Influence Boost. Here are some of the other areas we were aiming to address. Objectives and their points. Conquests are meant to be an activity that someone can work on throughout the week as they play the game. Previously, conquests were very homogenized in that there was very little diversity among each week. We used this opportunity to spread out what objectives were available in each conquest. Crafting. Crafting is a key part of conquests, and we certainly did not want to remove that. However, we know the use of war supplies and crafting was contributing too much to the overall competition of conquest. For that reason, we reduced the overall effectiveness of crafting, but added new functionality to war supplies that they can be consumed to add conquest points, allowing you to get points out of them twice if you want, or you could craft them on one character and then move them to other characters to gain conquest points. Yield Targets Competition among different sized guilds has always been a problem in conquests. We introduced yield targets to assist in separating out guilds by various sizes as they have differing targets and rewards. And then the interface. We gave the interface a facelift to make it easier to find activities you may want to complete. Those were the goals they set out to achieve and here is some of the feedback they got once the system went live. On the topic of changed and missing objectives, Eric said that, this feedback was most commonly ex expressed from PVPers who saw a daily objective for winning a war zone, but not one for participating. Our plan to combat the old system's homogenization was to spread out all objectives. This week may not have participation as an objective, but it isn't gone. It is just in a different conquest. However, this information was not clear and breaks too far from the old system. Our plan. We are going to add a repeatable GSF and Warzone participation objective into all conquest weeks. This will go live in our next patch. Regarding objective points, Eric wrote, With the rebalance to conquest objectives, there is a general sense that completing your personal conquest takes too long and by proxy guild invasions as well. Plan. We are going to lower the personal conquest target to 15,000 per week. We are also adjusting the planetary yield targets to be small is now 200,000, medium is now 550,000, and large is now 1,130,000. This will happen in our next patch. And as far as crafting is concerned, Eric stated, crafting and conquest was just too good prior to 5.8. There's a feeling though that we cut a bit too deep on its overall impact to conquests. The war supply schematics were combined, which made them harder to craft, and their point contribution went down even with the added functionality of being able to consume them. Plan, we are going to give it some time and monitor the impact of these changes, and then we will make any needed adjustments in 5.9 or beyond. Looking at the target rewards, Eric said, We are seeing concerns that the large and possibly medium yield rewards simply aren't good enough to warrant the extra points required. 
that this may cause most yields to simply filter down into smaller yields, which is counterproductive to the goal of getting yields to split a bit by guild size. Plan. This is something we are sensitive to, but without seeing actual participation data around conquests, we are hesitant to make changes just yet. We will monitor in the coming weeks and make any needed changes in 5.9 or beyond. With regards to the new UI, Eric wrote, There definitely is some confusion around the iconography in the new UI, especially for objectives. For quick reference right now, yellow icon means infinitely repeatable, blue means daily repeatable, no icon means once per week. Plan. With 5.9, we will be adjusting some text along with adding tooltips to ensure that it is a bit clearer. We're also going to be swapping the yellow slash blue to be consistent with the rest of the game. In addition, we'll be adding some additional fly text for conquest objective completion. And lastly, on the topic of alts and legacy, Eric said, With the rebalance of objective points and the reclassification of some objective types, there is some concern over the ability for a player with multiple characters in a legacy to be competitive in conquests. Additionally, there are similar concerns for folks with characters within a legacy in more than one guild. Plan. One initial step to resolve this is the lowering of the conquest targets as highlighted above. Also, by adding more repeatable objectives like PvP participation, as noted, this should give players more ways to gain points and make it easier to achieve targets. Beyond that, we will continue to monitor data and your feedback to seek other possible changes in 5.9 and beyond. So what does this all mean? Well, first, Game Update 5.8a went live on March 27th, and it contained a number of changes that Eric alluded to in his post. The lowering of target points is now live, and there is indeed a repeatable objective for participating in PvP. However, it appears to be once per day per legacy. Conquest was revamped, but it was not improved. The rewards are not worth chasing, and if a large guild wants a title and achievement, they'll take that over extra scrap every week. Lowering the invasion targets will help more guilds get rewards, but it won't make the leaderboard any more competitive. Here are last week's results from Starforge. The guild that won the large yield invasion scored 6.4 million points. The guild that won the medium yield invasion scored 4.8 million, and the guild that won the small yield invasion scored 3.3 million. More guilds may have made their targets, but the guilds that were winning the top spots before are winning the top spots now, and they are having less fun doing it. Players have different interests and different goals when it comes to conquest. Some people like to PvP, and some people like to run ops, and some people like to craft. Some people like to do conquest on as, conquest as many tunes as they can, and others are weekend warriors who can only do it on one character and in a short period of time. While the old conquests may have been homogenized, they cater to a variety of interests and a variety of playstyles. People like Conquest. It's a system that gets people to play and even enjoy existing content. If people want to run Eternity Vault 10 times a day to get points, let them do it and congratulate yourselves for generating excitement and interest from players in doing content that is almost 7 years old. The main issue is the achievement and titles, which if the big guilds want, they'll be able to get whenever they want. And if it's that big a prize, then loosen it up a bit. If you place number one, congratulations, you get the whole bowl of wax right then and there. For everyone else, maybe have an achievement where if you place in the top five for a planet five times, you get the achievement and title. 
By doing this, it allows a little freedom to loosen the restrictions on conquest. I believe it should be character-based and not legacy-based. I think PvP should be an unlimited, repeatable activity. There have been conquests where that's been my go-to activity. And there are people who only like to do PvP in the same way that there are people who only like to do operations. The old system encouraged friends to log on and work together towards a common objective, and in doing so it promoted camaraderie, friendship, and shenanigans. And one can never have too many shenanigans. At least we couldn't before. For now, conquest remains in a state of chaos. As I mentioned in the opening, Conquest isn't the only thing in a state of chaos. Our beloved companions are choosing sides and going head-to-head in the Companion Chaos Celebration. Bioware decided to have a bit of fun on social media and pitted some of our favorite companions against one another. It began on March 20th, and each day you can head over to Twitter and Facebook and vote for your favorite. The companions are broken up into two teams, headed by Nico Okar and Shea Vizla. As I mentioned, the contest began on March 20th. It's still going on, but here are the results so far. In round one, it was HK55 for Team Nico versus Scorpio for Team Shea. I'm happy to say HK55 did what HK droids do, and that's annihilate the competition with extreme prejudice. On Twitter, HK defeated Scorpio 81% to 19%. And on Facebook, it was 76% to 24%. In round two, it was Jerk 1 versus Jerk 2. Tano Vic for Team Nico versus Skadge for Team Shea. As you can imagine, Vic defeated Skadge by a score of 62% to 28% on Facebook. And then it was a little closer on Twitter with Vic winning 54% to 46%. So after two rounds, the score is Team Nico 2. Team Shea, zero. Round three saw Sergeant Rusk for Team Nico, Battle Lieutenant Pierce for Team Shea. Pierce showed why the Imperials took the Bastion on Corellia. He gave Rusk a beatdown of 65% to 35% on Facebook, and then the same on Twitter. So it's Team Nico, two, and Team Shea, one. In round four, it was Gus Tuno for Team Nico and Galt for Team Shea. Galt was the mastermind behind the heist of the Gilded Star, and Gus is just a master of being mind-tricked. It was Galt over Gus, 71% to 29% on Facebook, and they didn't actually compete on Twitter. So after four rounds, it's all tied up at 2-2. Round 5 was a bit more interesting. It had T7 for Team Nico versus Blizz for Team Shea. On Facebook, Blizz edged out T7 by 50% to 49%, but on Twitter, it was Blizz at 51% and T7 at 49%. So it's either Team Nico leading 3-2 or Team Shea leading 3-2. For round 6, it was Nadia Grell for Team Nico and Ashara Zavros for Team Shea. How did it go? Ashara kicked the crap out of Nadia. 64% to 36% on Facebook, and on Twitter, it was Ashara at 57% and Nadia at 43%. What the what? 
I would have thought those numbers reversed. Nadia's great. She is one of the most underrated companions out there. And Ashara is just whiny and not in a good Luke Skywalker kind of way. All I can say is the Russians must have hacked this one. It's the only explanation. So after six rounds, it's either 3-3 or Team Shea leads 4-2. But we're not done yet. There are two battles that are undecided. First is Theron Sedrax for Team Nico versus Dr. Loken for Team Shea. On Facebook, Dr. Loken is winning at 55% to 45%. And on Twitter, Loken leads 56% to 44%. The other battle is Lord Scourge for Team Nico versus Zalik for Team Shea. Scourge is pummeling Zalik 61% to 39%. I imagine Scourge is still upset about not being part of Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne. Seriously, he was made for that story. And by the way, the uh, scourge Zalik battle is only on Facebook. So if these last two matches hold up, then the final tally will either be Team Nico 4, Team Shea 4, or Team Nico 3 and Team Shea 5. And then I imagine there will be the grand finale. Nico Okar and Shea Vizsla face off against one another. If it's tied, then it will be for all the marbles. If Team Vizsla heads into the final, leading 5-3, to three, then this is about brand bragging rights for Nico. So other than fun and focusing on something other than the conquest change, is there any point to this? I don't know, but Nico Okar and Shea Vizsla are two companions that you can't get anymore. They were rewards for subscribing to the game, so maybe we'll see the leader of the winning team make a return. I don't know, but it'd be nice to get something out of this deal. So while the companions battle it out and Conquest gets sorted out, I wanted to talk about the original Galactic Conquest, the war between the Sith Empire and the Republic. War hasn't broken out yet, but tensions between the Empire and the Republic are heating up. It is now time to continue updating you on the story project that I'm working on. What I'm attempting to do is play all eight classes and move them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. Again, I'm not going for canon. I've gotten through all of the starter planets in the two capital worlds, Drome and Kos and Coruscant. The Empire has also moved close to reclaiming Balmora. And today, I'm going to talk about the Republic's efforts on the storied world of Terrace. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips. So if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1-50 to experience, now would be a good time to bow out. For the rest of you, I want to start with a brief recap of the Republic side of the story. And just as a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters. Just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class. Although there are certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female, and some of them are quite good. So the story thus far for the Republic is this. The Jedi Knight went to Coruscant where he learned the Republic military has been secretly working on super weapons to fight the Empire. While word has gotten out and plans have gone missing. Jedi Knight now has to track down a missing weapon and a missing scientist. Turns out the scientist is actually a Sith Lord. Not just any Sith Lord, but the son of Darth Ongrel, a rival of Orgus Din and one of the architects in the sacking of Coruscant. The Knight kills Ongrel's son, but not before he could transmit the stolen Republic plans to Ongrel. The hunt continues. 
The Jedi Consular goes to Coruscant to find a cure for the mysterious illness afflicting Master Yuan Parr. The Consular seeks wisdom from ancient Jedi technology called Noeticons. She learns that Yuan is being attacked by Sith technique from an ancient Sith named Tarek Morage. To combat this, the Consular learns a shielding technique which can free the victim from their attacker, but it comes at a cost to her own well-being. With Yuan healed, there is concern that other masters are under attack. The consular leaves Coruscant to find them. The smuggler arrives on Coruscant on the hunt for Skavik and his ship. With the help of a charming rogue named Darmus Polaran, the smuggler finds Skavik just as he's finalizing a deal with the Empire. Skavik runs, leaving the Imperials to do his dirty work of killing the smuggler. They fail, and we learn that our ship is at the starport. We get there before Skavik and reclaim our ship. Once airborne, we find that Skavik has left us a cargo hold full of valuables and a beautiful woman named Risha who offers to take us on the greatest treasure hunt the galaxy has ever seen. The Republic Trooper reports to Coruscant to begin hunting down the recently defected members of Havoc Squad. Trooper learns that Havoc Squad aren't the only soldiers defecting, and it's reached almost a crisis level. Trooper's mission is to cut off the defector's supply and communication lines on Coruscant. He succeeds in his mission and deals the defectors their first blow. He now heads to Port Raga, where former Havoc Squad member Wraith has kidnapped a Republic senator. That's the story thus far. Let's head to the planet where the Old Republic was born, Terrace. recommended play order for Terrace is Smuggler, Trooper, Knight, and Consular. And I have to say, I just don't see it. I found Terrace to be one of the most open-ended planets, and I didn't find any chronological markers that defined an order of play. Bottom line, I think you're fine going in whatever order you feel like. The reason for the recommended order was primarily based on this conversation the Smuggler has with Beryl Thorne, in which Thorne mentions Zone Zero and how not much is known about it. Thorne is an ex-colleague of Risha's, and the two don't like each other much. Mm, sensors are picking up the vault's unique radiation signature. That's good. Aha, there it is. Oh, your vault is in Zone Zero. That's bad. Give me all the details. Zone Zero is in no man's land. When the Republic first got here, it sent a bunch of surveyors to map the region. One surveyor made it back alive, said the place is overrun with things worse than Rakul's. Nobody goes there. No man should march into certain death without a kiss for luck. I'll ask, but Argo's real picky about his men. I beg your pardon, mistress. In case you're wondering, Zone Zero is the old underground tunnel where all of the class stories wrap up. The idea is when the smuggler arrives, not much is known about Zone Zero, and by the time the other classes get there, we know a lot more. That's simply not the case. Also, there isn't a single planetary thread on Terrace either. The story missions are the ones designated by the Purple Triangles, and while they exist, they're unrelated to one another and specific to the mission hub in which they're found. In other words, you can mix and match which characters you want to do them. 
So the bottom line for me, there is no play order for Terrace, and you're free to bring your heroes through there however you'd like. Even though the order doesn't matter, there is a lot happening on Terrace and a number of things you should pay attention to. First is the Jedi Knight story where he is there to find a Republic scientist named Nason Gadera. His adversary is a member of Imperial Intelligence. That's enough bloodshed. Let's be professional about this. I am Watcher One with Imperial Intelligence. Those men you fought served me. What kind of name is that? My title is who I am. Any other name I gave you would be a lie. You may recall that when the Imperial agent goes to Droman Kass, he has this conversation about the Watchers with Watcher 3. How many Watchers are there, anyway? Only Keeper knows for sure. I've never met a Watcher with a designation higher than four. Watcher 1's on assignment right now, so it's just me and Watcher 2 here. Anyway, I should get back to work. That's one of a few crossovers that are starting to develop. The bonus series on Terrace ties heavily into the planetary story for the Imperials. Take this scientist, for instance. This is not a grooming behavior. That's tool use at the very least. I know that, and you know that. I'm just saying neither the university nor the garrison... Never mind. We have company. Hi, I'm Mola Haxdor. This is Professor Vral. We're applied xenozoologists. Uh, could you settle something for us? We'll see Mola again, and I dare say her fate will rest in our hands. Terrace is an important planet in the lore of the Old Republic. It's where Knights of the Old Republic began, and Bioware has put in lots of codexes, missions, and references that give you the history of what happened before. So while the play order doesn't matter at all, really, at this point, and you're free to bring your characters through in whatever order you like, there is a lot happening here, and you should just make a point to do all of the quests, all of the side quests, and especially the bonus series, because you're just going to learn a lot about the history of the Old Republic. And speaking of ancient history, that's what this episode has just become. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 72 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site which is SotorPodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 73 on April 3rd-ish. Till then, remember the Sith Code. Take is a lot.